Get ready to hear the truth about America on a show that's not immune to the facts with your host, Dan Bongino. Listen, folks, the only thing predictable about what's going to happen in the coming weeks, months and days about this Ukraine-Russia war going on is its unpredictability. That's it. Um, There are so many variables out there and they keep growing by the day. I'm going to explain some of those today. I've got a very loaded show for you today. I've also got my interview yesterday because there are other things going on with Dr. Peter McCullough about the Pfizer vaccine. The interview was on the radio, but I have his last answer, which is interesting about a fascinating study we addressed yesterday about potential complications, potential complications with the Pfizer vaccine. Welcome to the Dan Bongino Show. Let's get right to it. It was a dark night last night, folks. Um, Just a lot going on. So, uh, that's what we're here for, to kind of give you the facts, all right? If you're looking for a firearm that's easy to transport, you got to check out the U.S. Survival Rifle from Henry Repeating Arms. It's a portable rifle you can put together and take apart in a few minutes. And then when you're not using it, you can store the parts in the little case it comes in. It's so small, it can be stored anywhere, in a go bag, anywhere. It's light enough to carry everywhere. comes in black and two different camo patterns. You can pick one up for three to $400, depending on the finish. You can watch a few videos at henryusa.com survival. And while you're there, be sure to order their free catalog. Henry makes more than 200 rifles, shotguns, and revolvers in the role made in America, backed by a lifetime satisfaction guarantee and the best customer service in the business. Go to their website. It's henryusa.com and be sure to order a free catalog. They'll send it with free decals on a list of dealers in your area. That's henryusa.com for a free catalog and decals and to see the Henry U.S. Survival Rifle. All right, Joe. Let's go. Here we go, bro. Here we go. Yeah. Yeah, rough night last night, ladies and gentlemen. I wake up every morning dreading turning on the TV. Huh. Get up, got a little TV small one on the counter there in the bathroom, get up to brush the teeth and all, turn the TV on, and every morning it seems like all bad news. But uh, anyone claiming right now that they understand or have uh, you know some, some decent sense of what's going to happen next, I'm sorry, he's just lying to you. There's nothing wrong with speculating moving forward. It's the essence of commentary. It's the essence of intelligence gathering. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but, but the only predictable part of this, as I said before, is going to be its unpredictability. Ladies and gentlemen, there are a number of variables building up right now. I've got some video coming up in a second of last night, a red line being crossed, which was a attack on a civilian center in Kharkiv. Um, this is, uh, this is, it's not new him attacking civilians, but on this scale, it certainly is, which says to me that this guy, Putin, again, I, I don't care how many people tell you this is not thinking rationally anymore. He is not. Here are some of the variables I'm talking about, which are starting to deeply concern me and are probably concerning you too. Number one, domestic protests in Russia appear to be growing in St. Petersburg and elsewhere. Well, why is that concerning? It's concerning for a number of reasons. Vladimir Putin, for the thousandth time, I've got to say this, is a strong man. Not a man who's strong, but a strong man. A strong man needs the perception of fear to govern. He doesn't have the authority of a democratic consensus. He doesn't. Everybody knows Putin will win, air quotes, win an election any way he wants. Imprisoning his opponents, um, you stuffing the ballot box, counting the votes, if you know what I mean. Vladimir Putin does not have a democratic consensus. He will never have a democratic consensus. And as domestic protests grow in Russia, Putin's going to get more desperate. You don't think he understands history? Despotic leaders have been deposed by their own people. It's good that the Russian civilian population, large swaths of them are starting to speak out against Putin. But that doesn't absolve us of the responsibility of saying, 
Okay, then what? You know, this isn't a storybook where the, you know, the population revolts and Putin just walks off into the sunset and says, well, I've lost Democratic support, support at home, excuse me, not Democratic support. I've lost support at home. I'm out of here. The question is, does he then become desperate? I've got some evidence coming up by his escalating rhetoric that he may be getting desperate right now. So that's variable number one. How bad do these protests get in Russia and what message does it send to Putin? Variable number two. Folks, the oligarchs, the Russian oligarchs are, uh, are starting a bit of a mutiny here on the ship. These billionaires in Russia, they, these are not good and decent people, by the way. Sechin, Deripaska, and others. They're starting to realize that I need my yacht. Don't laugh. It's how these people think. I need my London grad apartment back, my 30,000 square foot apartment in London. I need my yacht. I need my private plane. Where can they go? Their yachts aren't allowed to dock. Their planes aren't allowed to land. Their money's been seized or not seized, but they can't get it out. Many of these banks, which effectively seized. The Russian oligarchs are losing their minds. A lot of them are in this tight circular network with Putin. You have to wonder if he loses domestic support at home and then loses his billionaire oligarch buddies who are involved in all these payoffs. Remember, with the collapse of the Soviet Union, a lot of these oligarchs were former friends of Putin in the KGB. A lot of them at the time, uh, after the collapse of the Soviet Union and years later, were given access to the resources of now Russia. That's how they got their billions. They didn't get it through being capitalists. These people aren't the Elon Musks of our time. Even they're showing frustration publicly now. This is a good thing, just like domestic protests. The problem is not all good, not all good things lead to good outcomes. This isn't a fairy tale. It's a real world. What happens if Putin gets desperate, realizing he's lost his public and his money sources? Third variable that's got me worried before we get to the video of Kharkiv. Where's the Russian officer corps right now? I don't mean where are they geographically located. I mean, where are they up here? Where are they cerebrally located? It's pretty clear right now through some reports, and I'm trying to avoid propaganda on both sides. Don't lie to me. I don't need to be lied to, and I'm not going to lie to you. Some of the reports of collapsing Russian propaganda may be propaganda on the other side. But some of the people I've seen reporting are reliable, have seen some evidence that at a minimum, the Russian mission seems confused and some of the officer corps is genuinely confused about what the mission is. Yeah. Some of them were apparently told, hey, we're here. We're going to be greeted as the great liberators. That's not the case, Joe. They're not being greeted as the great liberators. You're no, being sir. greeted in many cases with Molotov cocktails and double barrel, non-family friendly middle fingers. The Russian officer corps, where are they up here? Where's their morale? This is a good thing if their morale collapses. There is some limited evidence of very, very isolated, limited desertion on the front lines of the fight. Very limited. I don't want to be dramatic about it. But enough that it makes you ask, where are his others? Remember, a lot of, these, a lot of the Russians in the military consider their Ukrainian uh, allies, consider uh, their Ukrainian neighbors, excuse me, brothers. They don't look at them like a foreign country. Imagine being asked to open fire, uh, you know, on uh, trying to think uh, people in Canada where we're like, ah, I'm Canada, you know, I'm not really sure we're going to do that. 
I mean, you have to put yourself in their mindset. The fourth variable, and I'll get to his escalating rhetoric. Folks, the potential now for miscalculation goes up dramatically. We have a lot of um, in, in undersea submarine assets. In our nuclear triad, we have air, sea, and land, right? Our nuclear uh, submarines, right? A lot of them trail Russian nuclear submarines. The potential for a conflict at sea or elsewhere, given the heightened level of awareness and the escalating rhetoric, has gone up dramatically. Folks, two, three years ago, you know, a, a, a situation, and let's not get into like the movies, like this isn't the hunt for Red October, but two or three years ago, a, a, a missed signal from a Russian sub might be easily uh, rectified by just opening communication channels. You have to ask yourself now, isn't it a fair question? Would that same missed signal be interpreted the same way now, given the current portfolio of conditions? Yeah, uh, yeah that's right. That is right. That's the kind of thing a lot of people are saying right now. Eh. Folks, remember, a lot of these things, uh, you know, are being controlled by, by uh, these buttons are being controlled by officers waiting for orders up top. Now the question becomes as well. Tom Rogan addresses it in a piece I'll play in a minute. Do the Russian officer corps and their military leaders follow through if, God forbid, there was an order for a, mil a military nuclear strike? You gaff off these questions at your own risk. I'm not doing it. I am going to address this stuff because it's important and critical. Now, I address those four variables right there and the subsets under them because the war is escalating right now in its rhetoric and its tactics on the ground. You have a convoy that's been estimated anywhere from 12 miles long of Russian vehicles and tanks to 70 miles long. Again, in the interest of avoiding propaganda, I'm going to assume it's probably closer to the 20, 30 mile mark. And keep in mind, although some columns of the Russian um, convoy are three deep, there are other places, there's, there's vast distance between vehicles. So don't assume if it's 70 miles long, it's been reported, that it's 70 miles of cars. That's not the case. Facts matter, okay? Doesn't mean it's not going to be devastating if it invades. We got to get the facts out there. No bull. We don't have time for that. War is escalating. This convoy is, uh, appears to be ready to enter Kiev. And civilian attacks are escalating. For those of you listening on audio, I'm very sorry. It, it's only, it's short. It's about 10 seconds. But I strongly encourage you to watch this. Rumble.com slash Bongino. You're not going to hear anything for about the next 10 seconds. This is closed circuit television video of a missile strike on a civilian center in Kharkiv, a government building. It's one of the most disturbing things I've seen in a long time. Take a look at this. Hard to watch, folks. There have been some reports of additional missile attacks in Kharkiv today. These are now civilian centers. Folks, I'll tell you, let me throw another variable in there after this, the fifth variable, before I get to some video of a reporter from ITV on the ground after that strike talking about what the aftermath looks like. I'm not sure Putin, who multiple reports have indicated he does not use a cell phone and does not often access the Internet. If Putin is isolated and not reading what's happening every day in the news, Putin may very well believe he's winning this thing. 
Putin also is not factored into this account right now, the use of social media and the proliferation of video devices all around the world. In other words, Joe, you know, Hitler's atrocities, I assure you, would have been discovered far earlier, obviously, if there would have been cell phones everywhere. There weren't. Mm -hmm. It took a while for the news to get out of just how bad things really were. That's not the case now. With the proliferation of social media and the cell phone and the video camera embedded in hundreds of millions of phones around the world, Putin's atrocities are spreading like crazy. It makes you wonder, has the man accurately accounted for social media? It's a new era. You can't evaluate what he's doing now in the context of what may have happened even in 2008, 2014 in Georgia and Ukraine and Crimea. You can't. It's a different time. Here, this is what I mean. Here's an ITV reporter on the ground after that devastating missile strike in Kharkiv talking about the devastation. Again, stuff's tough to watch. Take a look. Well, we're in Freedom Square here in the middle of uh, Kharkiv that was hit uh, by a strike last night. You can see complete devastation here. Um, the top of this building uh, behind me has been completely taken out. There's just rubble all over the streets. Uh, and people wandering around assessing the damage. Clearly, we're not going to loiter here long, but it seems like Russia has switched tactics from trying to hit military targets at the beginning of this war to now trying to take out symbols of the Ukrainian state. Uh, at the moment, though, the response from the Ukrainians has been one of complete defiance. You see why I'm concerned? It's, it's not just me. I'm not alone in this. It appears Putin is not only not dialing it down, in response to global condemnation and a, a, an economic boycott of his country like we haven't seen in modern times, it appears he's ramping it up. At this point, it appears the man is desperate. That's why I don't buy the argument at all that the man is rational anymore. Whether he's irrational because of madness, psychopathology, or just irrational because he doesn't have the information he needs because he's surrounded by yes people, I don't know. I can't answer that. I'm not in his head. I'm not his psychotherapist. But there's no question any longer. The man's not acting rationally. No, I didn't say morally or ethically. I said rationally. There's a difference. A lot of really sick sociopaths who do a lot of sick things, it's rational without being moral. Why do muggers mug people? Because they want your money. To him, to the mugger, it's rational. Putin doesn't appear to be doing that anymore. I'll make this argument day after day. Here, more evidence of what I'm talking about, how he appears to be going through a, either psychosis or he's just in completely isolated from the truth. Playbook has this morning a Politico that during a meeting with top officials to discuss the sanctions, Putin continued to escalate, escalate his rhetoric. Quote, for the second day in a row, the Kremlin raised the specter of nuclear war, the AP reports announcing that its nuclear-capable intercontinental ballistic missiles, submarines, and long-range bombers, that's Air Triad, had all been put on high alert following Putin's orders over the weekend. You know, I, I'm growing increasingly frustrated, you know, with some people on, I don't care about your political stripe, who ignore this stuff and say, oh, gosh, he's not going to do that. Don't you worry. Vladimir Putin fully understands it's not in his best interest. Does he? He's now engaged in a, in a, in a, in a full-blown war in Ukraine. 
with a with a convoy of tanks getting ready to head in, sending in uh, airborne projectiles to destroy civilian centers. And we're still discussing a rational guy. You know, as the journal indicated yesterday, I don't know if it was a weekend piece or yesterday, but well, the writer of the piece indicated that he's already used a nuclear weapon, granted not a nuclear missile, but in his poisoning of in his and then and the point in, in London yeah. and then they the also the uh, the poisoning of uh, of Sergei Skripal too with chemical weapons. The, was that rational? The man's clearly at this point losing an attachment with reality, whether it's due to some psychological issue he's having or whether it's due to his detachment from reality. We can't ignore this. Now, I'm going to get to this piece um, in a second here. Tom Rogan has a good analysis here. I'm going to give all sides again. I'm always going to give all sides, and I will not be intimidated. Matter of fact, despite the protestations from people who don't want me to have him back, I'm going to have Colonel Doug McGregor trying to get him on my radio show this week, even though I disagree with him, because it's important. It is important you hear everything. I wish we would have heard more during the early days of the Iraq war about the potential that WMD didn't exist. And we didn't do that because a lot of people were pressured. No more. I'm going to give you all the perspectives. I got Rogan, Tom Rogan, a great piece in the Washington Examiner about why he doesn't think Putin could use a nuclear weapon. Dan, you just said Putin's irrational. I know. I'm giving you all sides. I just told you in the beginning of the show, I'm speculating. So is Rogan. It's only fair if I'm going to speculate to make the other argument as well, the counter argument, and let you, my extremely intelligent audience, figure it out for yourself. All right, let me get to this. And I also got an article from the Daily Wire coming up about non-nuclear weapons that can be extremely deadly in their own right. There's an allegation that one of them may have already been detonated, but I, I, we can't confirm that yet. With cyber attacks on the rise, protecting your data security is more important than ever. So why is Congress considering a law that puts your data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill shifts billions in consumer spending to less secure payment networks, all so that corporate megastores can make bigger profits. Don't let Durbin Marshall steal your data. Visit handsoffmyrewards.com security and tell your senators to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Paid for by Electronic Payments Coalition. So uh, Rogan has a great piece in Washington Examiner be in the newsletter today. I strongly encourage you to check it out. Again, it's only responsible to give you all sides of this debate. He doesn't, his, the title of the piece pretty much says it all. Why Russia is highly unlikely to use nuclear weapons. My gosh, I hope he is right, Tom Rogan. From his mouth to God's ears. He gives a couple reasons. It's an interesting piece. I'm going to stick with two. He says, regardless, the risk of a Russian nuclear strike remains very low for two reasons. He says the first reason is a nuclear strike would not be in Russia or Putin's interest. The Kremlin appears to have been shocked by the significant Western economic sanctions already imposed on its economy and against Putin personally. Yet were Russia to detonate a nuclear warhead over Ukrainian forces or Kiev, it would likely precipitate total economic isolation. This would have a profound impact on Russian society, likely precipitating mass protests against Putin's rule and perhaps encouraging a palace coup. I enjoyed his piece a lot. I'm including it here. I'm trying to give you alternate perspectives. I, I just simply disagree that the probability is very low. And, and folks, in the name of the Lord Almighty, I'm not using his name in vain. I hope I'm wrong. I mean that. I pray to my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ every night. 
to get in Putin's head and just show him the way. I pray for Putin. I pray for his sanity. You're darn right I do. And Zelensky and everyone else in Ukraine for the strength they need. But I don't believe the argument at all that what he's saying there is it's not in Putin's interest to do this, which is obvious. But I have to, I, I ask and I question him with, with respect. I don't, I'm not trying to knock the guy. I ask with respect, was it in his interest to invade Ukraine either? And the answer is no. I mean, everything we said was going to happen to him happened. He's been economically isolated. Nord Stream 2 has been cut off. He's looking at a potential next step as an energy boycott, which would bankrupt him. So you have to ask yourself, based on prior activities, response reward, his own operant, the, you, you know, how he responds to operants. If he wasn't dissuaded before by penalties, why would he be dissuaded now if he gets desperate? Again, I hope Tom Rogan is right. I, I'm, I'm not sure he is. We'll see. Part two, he says another reason he doesn't believe that uh, nuclear weapons are, uh, are, uh, are likely to be used. He says the exact Russian nuclear release protocols are highly classified. In other words, who's in their chain of command to release a nuke? And they're unknown. But would likely involve both their defense minister and their chief of general, their uh, ch uh, chief of the general staff uh, that, that would require authentication. While Putin's more recent centralization of power may have altered these nuclear protocols, the general staff would need to distribute attack orders to nuclear forces. Uh, what he's saying there is fairly obvious, that even if Vladimir Putin in his recent consolidation of power, say I was the president, my nuclear release protocol was I have to notify Guy as my uh, chief of staff or whatever, and Joe is the, the you know, deputy, uh, the, excuse me, the uh, secretary of defense. Yeah. Say that was my, in Dan's country. Putin probably consolidated that, so he is the only decision maker. Rogan's saying, no, the problem there is he can be the only decision maker, but the hard reality is, unless he's in the silos himself pushing the darn buttons, he's going to have intermediaries. And as I said to you before in the beginning in my four variables, where are the Russian officers' heads? If they get, you got to, folks, you got to remember, the, the Russians, their moms and dads too, even the Russian soldiers, some of them may be doing very stupid things right now, morally reprehensible things right now, but they're moms and dads, too many of them. You don't think they know that it would be beyond psychotic to unleash global nuclear war? What do you think? Put yourself in their shoes. What do you think they're thinking? I hit this button. What does the United States do? They hit their button. Then what happens to my family? So in that respect, notice I didn't mention Putin in that chain because I'm still I still don't believe Putin's acting rationally. I don't believe it's very unlikely he wouldn't at a minimum use a tactical battlefield nuke. I don't. But the question becomes, what do his intermediaries do? And I believe many of them are acting rationally and have families at home. Putin's got his people protected. You see the difference there? On that part, he may be right, Rogan. So that's why I included the analysis. I strongly encourage you to read the piece. It'll be in my newsletter today, bongino.com slash newsletter if you'd like to sign up. It's worth your time today. Okay. Now, in order to up the body count, 
and engage in a mass slaughter. Putin doesn't have to unleash either tactical or intercontinental ballistic missiles, sub-based or airborne-based missiles. He has access to other bombs as well. They're calling it the FOAB, father of all bombs, the thermobaric bombs. Now, the Daily Wire is a good piece about it. There were allegations yesterday that a thermobaric bomb was already launched. I can't confirm that, so I would put that up as speculative at best. But Ryan Savidra describes what Putin has at his, as his hands. They're called the thermobaric bombs. They're also known as vacuum bombs. What they do is they suck oxygen into the blast and cause awful internal injuries, especially to the lungs. We've seen this before from Russia, especially in Aleppo, Syria. Now, a Western intelligence official said, my fear, I think, is that if this continues to be a scene where they are delayed, the Russians, that is their invasion, that they may use indiscriminate use of indirect fire, particularly artillery systems, thermobaric weapons, which we know the Russians have both in its armory and have used in previous conflicts. He says his fear is that it wouldn't meet the timescale and objectives that they would. They'd be indiscriminate. Uh, they'd be indiscriminate in the use of violence. I strongly, strongly concur. I concur 1,000%. As Putin gets desperate, and those four variables add up, I discussed in the beginning, what does he do with that desperation? He cannot take the L right now in Ukraine. He can't. He is a strong man. He's not democratically elected. He can't fall back on the whole, hey, you guys elected me to do this thing. He doesn't have that. If he gets desperate, what does the body count look like? It ain't going to look good, folks. It's going to look really bad. Okay, I want to get to this last story. I want to move on. There's the State of the Union tonight. There's a lot of other news going on, and I owe it to you to get it all out there. But this Wall Street Journal story is important. Folks, one of the greatest threats to our national, secu- national security right now in the United States is the American left. I am not kidding. The American left has put the United States in an untenable energy situation moving forward. We're reliant on foreign countries, including Russia, to power our economy. You don't have our economy powered. You can forget about building tanks and weapons and defending ourselves. You're not going to be able to even power your car on the way to the grocery store to eat. We are floating on a sea of petrochemicals. And the fact that we, pursuant to the American left's uh, you know, destruction, manage, decline, dreams of the United States, they don't want us developing our energy resources here. Even if it means global annihilation. This is how crazy these nuts are. Showing you how crazy they are. Even the European left is starting to do a flipperoo. Wall Street Journal. Germany's climate left gets serious. Germany's Greens, like many parties in the left around the world, purport to combine environmental enthusiasm with idealism about human rights and rule of law. Ukraine invasions testing those abstract ideals as it forces the left to reckon with the balance among climate goals, national security, and aspirations for world peace. You get what he's saying here? All these lefties, hey, we're all about world peace, tolerance. You have a guy murdering civilians right now in Kharkiv, launching missiles into government centers. How are we powering him? They're powering him by enabling him to ship his petrochemicals, his fuel and oil around the world. We could be doing that. Cut them off. Has that occurred to the American left? Even the Europeans are getting it. The Europeans, who typically are to the left of the American left. The European left right now in Germany is like, they're crazy. They are an existential threat to our national security. Germany left leading the way. I never thought I'd say that, but we are. You got a 2022 election coming up, folks. Please, God, please vote right. 
Like I told you often, Republicans may not be the solution to all your problems, but Democrats are most certainly the cause of them. All right, here's what I got coming up. Uh, Some predictions about the State of the Union tonight based on some analysis of what Biden's going to talk about. I don't think any of it is uh, particularly uplifting. Is he going to do a lift and shift and talk about energy? Hey, we're going to, you know, drill in Anwar. We're going to build out Keystone. We're going to drill on federal lands. Nope, I doubt it. Okay. So we have the State of the Union coming up tonight. Uh, this has the potential to be a disaster. Uh, I hope it isn't because really uh, not projecting strength right now on the national stage is going to cause us a lot of complications, folks. Will Biden lift and shift? Will Biden do what I just said and call out the American left and say, listen, we have no time for nonsense right now. We're going to get into a full-blown uh, energy, uh, uh, energy fight with Russia, and we are going to bankrupt them and become the world's leader in petrochemicals. No, he's not going to do any of that, of course. What is he really going to talk about? I can almost guarantee you he's going to mention tonight. We'll see. We'll come back tomorrow. He's going to mention tonight uh, Republican efforts to suppress the vote, which, of course, are nonsense, made up leftist fairy tales. They tell each other. He's going to mention tonight how he uh, saved the NATO alliance, which, again, is nonsense. It was Donald Trump specifically who told NATO, you're going to have to spend more money on your own defense, which, you know, they ignored him largely ignored him, and now they're raising money for their defense. Watch Joe Biden take credit for that. It'll be hilarious. Watch, mark my words. You'll hear voter suppression and how he saved NATO. He did nothing of the sort. Zero. That was Trump. Trump told NATO, you've got to defend yourselves. It's on video. We can see it. Trump calling him out. Apparently, according to Playbook, he's also going to talk about some other programs as well. Pell Grants for Education. That's what we need, folks. Joe, that's worked really well. Government giving people money to spend on college. Kept the price low, right, Joe? Yeah. Education's uh-huh. really cheap now, college. Uh, yeah. yeah, super cheap. Yeah, What a bargain. Don't it's like the 99-cent <laughs> menu at McDonald's. Yeah, why is that? Because we're giving people free money. What happens when you give people free money? They spend it. What do they spend it on? They spend it on what you gave them the free money for, education, which does what? Drives the price of education up. So Joe Biden's apparently, according to political playbook, as you see right now, going to tell him, uh, you know, now that we have this massive inflation going on in the economy, he's going to say, let's give away more money. That'll work out great. He wants to talk about raising the federal minimum wage to $15. That's, oh, that's a real game changer. Why not $100? I ask all the time, where'd you come up with the number 15? Why not 72? Well, uh, high wages are good. Okay, so mandate $250. Well, we can't do that. Well, why can't you do 15? How'd you get that number? Well, it sounds good. It rhymes for... It, it, it rhymes with Slifteen. That's why we did it. And they want to create a national paid family medical leave program. That's a good idea. Businesses are struggling right now to find workers, so let's make them pay more. Right? That's a great idea for workers by including a family leave pad that, that their employees may not need. Great idea, Joe. Knocking it out of the sounds park. Sounds like a now, winning agenda. Yeah. Sounds, sounds like a winning agenda. Yeah. If you're a moron. Yeah. <laughs> you're absolutely right. My man. So here, how do I know Biden's going to go full Jim Crow voter suppression? Uh, he tried it yesterday. There was an event at the White House. I want you to listen to this goes to show you how little support this argument has. He's got friendlies in the White House. So he's giving a speech on a, 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 a Black History Month event or whatever it was in, at the White House. And he's talking about uh, the, this uh, this fairy tale based GOP voter suppression, which is not happening, and it's just entirely made up. So here he mentions like the whole Jim Crow analysis. Listen to the rousing applause, folks! Rousing applause here. Check this out. We're going to keep pushing on this, and we're, we're protecting our country's threshold liberty, the sacred right to vote, which I've never seen is under such attack. 
You know, it's always made it harder for blacks to vote, but this is trying to be able to figure out how to keep the black vote when it occurs from even counting. Over the past year, we've directed. (laughs) I counted two. Rousing. Tattoo? Did you? Was it two? There may have been one guy stopping and starting for a week. Maybe he had an echo effect or something like that. Even keep in mind, folks, those are all friendlies. So he tries to hold the GOP's trying to suppress the vote. It is nonsense, garbage, made up fairy tales. And frankly, it's racist. Suggesting voter ID keeps black people from showing up to the polls because they're not smart enough to get an ID is one of the most racist things you can say. But we've always known Joe Biden to be a racist, so it doesn't really matter. You'll hear that tonight. I'm almost sure of it. Also, just a quick note on Jen Psaki before I get to Dr. McCullough and the vaccine, an interview you need to hear. Um, the whole thing you can check out on Fox Nation uh, from my show yesterday, my radio show, but I have, I have some cuts coming up from it, a cut that's really important. But here was Jen Psaki yesterday. She was asked about the um, convenient timing that all of a sudden now there's not going to be masks at the State of the Union. Now, every person with a brain that's acting rationally, unlike Vladimir Putin right now, Every single person with a brain realizes that the State of the Union demat, the great demasking, was due to the fact that the American public is done with the far left and some swampy right, some swampy Republicans. They're done with their mandates, masks, vaccines. They're done with it. They're finished. And Biden does not want to give his State of the Union in front of a bunch of masked Democrats who remind America that the Democrats are the ones pushing for the mandates, largely. Here's Saki yesterday when asked, uh, oddly enough, a serious question by the press corps at the White House. Hey, the timing on that's kind of weird, the demasking, right? Uh, was that related at all to public polling? Listen to this ridiculous answer. Check this out. Was it important to the president that masks come off during, before the State of the Union? Is there a message that he hopes to send uh, with, you know, with that news? Well, I would say the president is very powerful, but he couldn't make us be in the green zone that we're in right now in D.C. That's why we are not uh, required. We're not going to be required to wear masks starting tomorrow. So uh, I would say that for him, it had nothing to do with the timing around the State of the Union. Uh, He wanted to give the CDC the time to assess and make recommendations that would be clear to the American public about uh, what their recommendations would be for mask wearing moving forward. (laughs) He said, huh? Did Guy took, that's usually your job, Joe. Uh, Guy took your high. Even Guy gave him unprompted, huh? <laughs> um, so magically, Joe, overnight, um, Washington, D.C. appeared in the green zone. That's just crazy how that happened. Yeah. Um, so if you look at the CDC map here, you can see source CDC. Uh, a hat tip COVID clarity on Twitter, by the way, where I, uh, this came up. I saw this over there. Here is uh, just Friday. Yes, this past Friday. There is the before map. See a whole lot of red from the CDC. Better put your masks on. You're in a red zone. Friday, Joe, uh, the formula changed. And look at that. Look at that. It's a miracle. All that red disappears. It's a miracle. miracle. Joe's right. It's it's miraculous. It's like miracle on 42nd Street. It's incredible. Santa Claus showed up early. All those places magically out of the red zone. Don't need to mask anymore. Stunning, including Washington, D.C., where the State of the Union is. Just tell me again. One final time to both of you here. We're supposed to take the CDC again. Seriously, why? Any day now, I'll wait for an explanation about why I'm supposed to listen to now this obvious. The CDC should just be a political position now. I'm dead serious. You should run for office. But head of CDC, you should run in a political position now. 
I love mask mandates, randomly changing maps, forcing people to get vaccines, lying about vaccines, lying about the efficacy of masks. And then the other guy, I don't believe in any of that. I believe in truth. It should be a political officer. It's a joke. No one, no one in our generation right now, Joe's generation, mine and geese, no one will take the CDC seriously from this point on. They've entirely forfeited their credibility. It's an embarrassing joke. Amen. A joke, a joke. And you did it, not us. And when I play the McCullough interview coming up in a minute, you'll understand why. Before I get to that, I want to get to one more thing, this AEI uh, map I saw. Because this is something I, me and a lot of conservatives, certainly not just limited to me, conservatives way before me, have understood that, ladies and gentlemen, the political crisis in America, as Andrew Breitbart stated often, is downstream of the cultural crisis. And the cultural crisis is frequently blamed on a lot of things. You know, CRT and all these things, I think, certainly contribute the, uh, the, the uh, entertainment culture, its obsession with guns and, you know, certain types of music, calling women, you know, you know, you get the, I'm not even going to say that with B word and all that stuff, talking about shooting cops and all that stuff. Listen, I grew up with that, but the hard reality is that's a byproduct of something different. They're all symptoms of a larger disease. And the disease is fatherless homes. Folks, sadly, the, the explosive growth in fatherless homes in the United States, children being raised by very heroic single parents. My wife and I, you know, uh, uh, were one of them. I mean, I had my father around. He's a good guy. But uh, my parents got divorced, but Paula didn't. Her father, she didn't have her father around. It turned out okay, but it was it was a struggle for her mom. Her mom provided a lot of love. Sadly, this is becoming a class issue. Look at this devastating chart by AEI, American Enterprise Institute. I'll explain it to those audio-only consumers here, the product. It measures the percent of children 12 and under in households with married parents by mother's education level. It measures the mom's education level. And you will see clearly the percentage of children in fatherless homes is dramatically, dramatically higher. Or the, I should say the percent of children without fathers, uh, without, uh, with fathers is lower in the home. You get the point. Fatherless homes are much higher if, you, uh, if your education level um, is lower. If you have a bachelor's degree or more, the chances of having a father in the home, sorry I explained that poorly, is much higher. That's a simple way to say it. It's by, based on BLS data. That's the real cultural crisis we're going on right now. You know, I, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this story, given everything going on, but I just want to tell you, I've read a lot about this. I'm fascinated by the topic because of my own circumstances, my wife's circumstances. And it's not just the fact that you have two parents who can share the responsibility. That's one of the pieces of the puzzle that's missing in a fatherless home that causes problems for the children. It's also the fact that fathers love differently. And, you know, Joe's a father, I'm a father. You're just different. Mm -hmm. It's not better or worse than a mom. It's just different. I read was one article I read that dads are very physical with their kids. They are. I used to throw my daughter up in the air. My wife used to freak out. My daughter Isabel and I, I would and and I would throw my daughter Amelia hated it. Isabel loved it. She couldn't get enough of it. I you know I used to throw her up in the air and then catch her on the way down, and she would laugh and laugh and laugh. And one of the articles I read is that fathers are just more physical. So it teaches kids the limits of physicality, how, you know, some roughhousing is fun and meant out of love and others isn't. 
explains maybe the propensity of violence and criminality amongst kids without dads. That's higher than them with fathers in the home. Something to think about for all of us. We don't fix this. All the other stuff is for naught, including the political crises we're dealing with. As always, a two, it's not even like I have to mention a two, everything's a two-pager now, given the explosive news cycle we're dealing with. Okay. So yesterday on the show, and if you missed it, please go back and listen. I covered a study. I believe it was a Swedish study. Um, it was on the Pfizer vaccine. Granted, the study has some limitations at this point. It's going to require further follow-up. But it was about the Pfizer vaccine and how it causes your body to produce spike proteins. The study was in vitro, meaning not con- conducted in the laboratory, not inside the body. And it was uh, it, the, the cell lines they used on the study were these HUH7 cells, which are mutated cells. So the study does have limitations. But the study seemed to show that the cell lines studied in that specific study that exposure to the Pfizer vaccine causes prolonged production of the spike protein. For a very long time, and that it may, in fact, reverse transcribe itself into our own DNA. I found that troubling. Now, Dr. Peter McCullough, who's been sounding the alarm on a lot of COVID mistruths and misinformation out there, I had him on my radio show yesterday, and I asked him a question that, was, uh, that had been on my mind. What I don't seem to get here is if the, let's say this is happening in your body and we need follow-up. I want to be clear. We need follow-up to see what's happening here. If you are producing and pumping out because of changes in your DNA, these spike proteins, potentially endlessly, then how is it that your body's being introduced to the spike protein so often and yet the vaccine's effectiveness goes down? Do you get what I'm saying? If we're producing components of this virus to make the body respond and crush the virus, then why isn't the vaccine working after your DNA may be changed? Dr. McCullough's answer really didn't make me feel much better at all. This is from the radio show yesterday. You're going to see Fox Nation footage. Check this out. Um, this, is a, this is where I'm having a hard time reconciling this as, a, again, a, a non-medical professional like yourself. If, the, if this, the research turns out to be accurate in vivo and we start getting, say, liver samples from, from people and, and starts to show that, yes, spike proteins are being pumped out for a longer term than anticipated, then how is it that the vaccine's effectiveness is waning so poorly? In other words, if it's pumping out these spike proteins that are supposed to be recognized as, and are, and are, and are by our bodies as foreign invaders then, and, and we're producing antibodies, then why is the vaccine... You get what I'm saying? Like it's producing these spike proteins, but it's not doing what it's supposed to do. Doesn't seem to make sense. It would seem to be zero sum here. One would take away from the other. That's a brilliant observation. So the, your question is, you know, if we're being presented with this antigen all the time, why don't we have these right. rock and rolling antibodies, right? Why do they trail off? Uh, in a paper by Israel, done in Israel, his first author, he showed a 40% drop off per month of these antibodies after the vaccine. It must be... And I think Bruce Patterson is right on this. It must be that the body is concealing the spike protein as an antigen because your white blood cells, your monocytes and, and uh, macrophages are trying to gobble up the spike protein. So in a sense, you're sequestering it away from uh, antigenic presentation, but yet you're stuck with this. 
over time. So let's hope that it's not a chronic stimulus for blood clots. It's not a chronic stimulus for um, myocarditis or heart inflammation that uh, evolves over time or bleeding disorders like vaccine-induced thrombocytopenic purpurea. Uh, And let's hope that it's not a stimulus for cancer. Now, there's a lot in there. I respect and trust Dr. McCullough's words. What he said there is that even though you may, may be producing this spike protein for a longer time frame than the vaccine, the vaccine producers had initially told us, that one of the reasons that the vaccine may not be working, did you follow it? He said that the spike protein may be concealed. He called it concealing the antigenic presentation. In other words, the spike protein may be getting gobbled up, he said, by your macrophages, your immune system cells, hiding it. He said the problem with that, he went on later, <clears throat> is he fears that that could potentially, potentially lead to immune dis- uh, system disorders later on and potentially cancers based on the excessive immune system inflammatory response later on. We'll see. We don't know that yet. But kind of has me a little freaked out, folks. Understandably so. I'm going to follow the science on this, though, as we should, as we should have from the start. And when we get updates on this, I will let you know. Scary stuff, though. Okay. Um, A couple more stories I'd like to get to. Just the News has an interesting story in the newsletter. So Joe Biden is nominated uh, Kentaji Brown Jackson for the Supreme Court. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a big no for me. Should not get one Republican vote. I'm very sorry if they want to return to Robert's Rules of Order and civility, where Supreme Court nominees had general bipartisan support and weren't called rapists and boofers and all that other nonsense and alcoholics. Uh, then we can do that. I'm not interested in playing cute or nice. Uh, I'm not interested in in, in false allegations that she's a rapist either, like the sick, deranged Democrats are. But they have the votes. Uh, You know, she can uh, get the tie-breaking vote from uh, Kamala Harris. But I can assure you, of course, we'll get, you know, fake Republicans. You'll get Lindsey. You'll get Mittens, Murkowski. They'll probably sit there and go, oh, yeah, we'll vote for her. She's wonderful. Really is a great article in Just the News. Biden's SCOTUS nominee criticized the excessiveness of sex offender punishments. What is with these on the left? What is, President Joe Biden's nominee, Judge Kentaji Brown Jackson, admitted on a questionnaire for the U.S. Senate Judiciary Committee that she'd authored a paper criticizing the excessiveness of sex offenders' punishments, which she said could be unfair and unnecessarily burdensome. Nope. Uh, that's a no for me, Joe. That's a big no right there. Right with you. Um... Yeah, right. Figured you would be. Uh, Yeah, sorry about that. Uh, That's a no. But I can assure you, you will get a number uh, of Republicans, uh, probably two or three, who will vote for her because they want to be loved by the Washington Post editorial column. I don't care at all about that. Hey, Matt Palumbo has a great piece. Just going back quickly to Ukraine, where we came in. I got to sandwich the show and the really important critical stuff. So George Soros, folks, George Soros is back and he's speaking out on Ukraine. All of a sudden, he's very concerned about democracy around the world. So Matt Palumbo has a uh, a book about George Soros that came out. It's been a huge bestseller. It's called The Man Behind the Curtain. I am part publisher of the book, Disclosure. Matt writes for me as well. He has a piece up with an excerpt from the book at Bongino.com. If you'd like to read the piece, it's in the newsletter today. 
It's called George Soros Speaks Out on Ukraine. But here's the real reason why. George Soros, all of a sudden concerned about democracy around the world. Really weird, right? Well, it turns out, here's a quotation from Matt's book, again, it's called The Man Behind the Curtain. Go pick it up today. It is an amazing book on what Soros has really been up to. Did you know Soros spent over $180 million in Ukraine since 1991? In addition to Soros' early endeavors in the country as the Soviet Union collapsed, he financed Saakashvili, the president of Georgia, who became governor of Ukraine's Odessa region, and Svetlana Zelachek, a former member of Ukrainian parliament. He's also given money to Mustafa Nayam, an MP who was appointed VP of Yukor-Boronprom, a, uh, a state association of the nation's major defense conglomerates. Why is Soros all of a sudden concerned about democracy in Ukraine and around the world? Well, George Soros will not want to lose any money over there with some of his investments. Same reason I believe he spoke out against China, too. You think this has anything to do with democracy? If it did, he wouldn't be supporting people who can't stand democracy like the American left and uh DAs around the country who support the defund the police movement. Let's get to one last thing. This is uh, Hillary Clinton, who is uh, just uh, probably the most atrocious politician on the scene today, hilariously claiming to be on the side um, of American freedom and liberty and against Vladimir Putin, despite the fact that her husband was about to be paid $500,000 for a speech over in Russia. Uh, her State Department approved the uh, Uranium One deal. She was the one who hit the, remember the reset button? Uh, the reset button, yeah. which looks kind of hilarious right now. Yeah, and she hired foreigners to fabricate a Russian collusion fairy tale. Now Hillary Clinton, Joe, check this out. Hillary Clinton is all on the side of good and decent, on pol honest politics and liberty around the world. Look at this phony. Check this out. We have to also make sure that within our own country, uh, we are calling out those people uh, who are giving aid and comfort to Vladimir Putin, who are talking about what a genius he is, what a smart move it is, uh, who are unfortunately uh, being broadcast uh, by Russian uh, media, uh, not only inside Russia, but in uh, Europe to demonstrate the division within our own country. I don't even... <laughs> Division in our own country. Hillary Clinton. Sorry, I didn't leave you in a bad mood today. <laughs> we needed that. End the show on something funny. All right, folks, I will have an update on the State of the Union tomorrow, everything going on in Ukraine, and the other important news of the day. We're not going to leave that behind. Thanks for tuning in. Please be sure to subscribe to my show on Rumble. I'm trying to get to 3 million subscribers. We're going to blow that up. Rumble.com slash Bongino. We're at 2.2 now. We really appreciate your support. Rumble.com slash Bongino. See you on the radio show later. You just heard Dan Bongino.